0: Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. This episode opens with a reading from Katie Yee, who shares an excerpt from one of her favorite poets. Here's more from Katie. My name is Katie Yee,
1: and I'm a writer. I'm also the Bookmarks Associate Editor at Lit Hub and one of the founding editors of Emergent, a new online journal celebrating Black and brown work. I want to share a few words from Mary Rufel. She is, in my opinion, one of the most delightful poets of all time. On her website, under contact, you'll actually just find a page that says, Surprise, I do not actually own a computer. Just based on those words, I feel like she's someone who lives her life with the idea of slowing down in mind. And that's evident in her collection, Madness, Rack, and Honey. On beginnings. In life, the number of beginnings is exactly equal to the number of endings. No one has yet to begin a life who will not end it. In poetry, the number of beginnings so far exceeds the number of endings that we cannot even conceive of it. Not every poem is finished, one poem is abandoned, another catches fire and is carried away by the wind, which may be an ending, but it is the ending of a poem without an end. Paul Valery, the French poet and thinker, once said that no poem is ever ended, that every poem is merely abandoned. This saying is also attributed to Stéphanie Mallarmé, for where quotations begin is in a cloud. Paul Valery also describes his perception of first lines so vividly, and to my mind so accurately, that I have never forgotten it. The opening line of a poem, he said, is like finding a fruit on the ground, a piece of fallen fruit you have never seen before, and the poet's task is to create the tree from which such a fruit would fall. In the beginning was the word. Western civilization rests upon those words. And yet there is a lively group of thinkers who believe that in the beginning was the act, that nothing can precede action, no breath before act, no thought before act, no pervasive love before some kind of act. I believe the poem is an act of the mind. I think it is easier to talk about the end of a poem than it is to talk about its beginning. Because the poem ends on the page, but it begins off the page. It begins in the mind. The mind acts, the mind wills a poem, often against our own will. Somehow this happens. Somehow a poem gets written in the middle of a chaotic holiday party that has just run out of ice, and it's your house.
0: Thank you so much again to Katie for sharing. Again, the piece she read is from Madness Bracken Honey, Collected Lectures by Mary Rufel. Now here's my conversation with musician and poet Courtney Marie Andrews. What is poetry asking of us? This question was top of mind at the start of my conversation with artist Courtney Marie Andrews. A critically acclaimed musician and self-proclaimed student of experience, has translated her wisdom and storytelling prowess into her debut poetry collection, Old Monarch which centers around themes of longing and a desire to belong while excavating scenes from her childhood in the American Southwest. Much like her heartfelt songwriting, in Old Monarch, Courtney's lyrical poetry is reminiscent of not only earthen terrain, but of more complex territories, including self-discovery and transformation. Like the monarch itself, Courtney's creative work travels far and wide. But for Courtney, poetry in particular acts as a mechanism to go deep. And while this debut collection has come during a historic time of transformation, it is also a timeless reminder of how art can capture and honor the human condition. And in this interview, Courtney shared more about creating with intention, her life as a musician and poet, and what she's learned about slowing down and looking in. If you haven't had the chance to read Courtney's poetry or listen to Courtney's music, which most recently includes her Grammy-nominated album, Old Flowers, I highly recommend that you do so. But in the meantime, here's more from musician and poet Courtney Marie Andrews.
2: Outside of being a musician and a poet, I am an avid hiker and walker and traveler and mover and shaker. I value good friendship, creating for the sake of creating, and love, and patience, and (laughs) laughter, intention, yeah,
0: all the good stuff. Have any of those things changed profoundly in how you approach them, just as we've gone through this time of stillness?
2: I think through the stillness, if anything, these values have grown deeper. And I've realized how much I need connection in my life in a, in a way that's intentional and present. I feel like in the the fast-paced world that we were you know existing in before, it was so easy to get distracted and to move from one moment to the next without really stopping to observe what was going on or how it made you feel. And I, f- I feel like the the stillness has deepened my sense of presence. intention in a way that feels more authentic. We talk a lot about distraction on this show. Slow Stories is really
0: about how we manage our pace and tell stories in the digital age. And I think being so connected in that context, it's funny that it, it can offer so many distractions that take us away from the present moment. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. And, you know, I think on the subject of storytelling, I'm curious if there is a particular story, whether it was an article, a poem, or a book that made you slow down recently or has impacted your relationship with music, poetry, or both.
2: I have this symbiotic relationship with this article. It's more that I resonate with the article more than that it sort of impacted me and got me to do this. But it was more that I saw myself in it and just kind of did it more and it's this article from the BBC called the slow death of purposeless walking and i'm an avid walker especially in this moment of stillness i feel like my walking has doubled i <laughs> i you know every day in the pandemic i think i was walking anywhere from 2 to 4 hours a day and i think it's this really meditative process for me and in this article It talks about how a lot of the great thinkers and the great philosophers of, you know, the past few centuries always walked. They walked for no reason other than to walk. I think moving your legs makes your mind move too in this really slow way, you know, and and I was a runner for a while and I kind of went back to, to walking because it feels more meditative and it's a better bed and foundation for thoughts. And so this article is great, and it it talks about how important purposeless walking is. And I feel like that's a nice thought to remember that, you know, you can take an hour or two of your day to just walk slowly and observe and sort of develop your thoughts. I love that.
0: Is there a part of the article or a passage that might be worth sharing?
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's see. This is a quote from this book. I'll just read this passage. There is something about the pace of walking and the pace of thinking that goes together. Walking requires a certain amount of attention, but it leaves great parts of the time open to thinking. I do believe once you get the blood flowing through the brain, it does start working more creatively, says Jeff Nicholson, author of The Lost Art of Walking. Your senses are sharpened. As a writer, I also use it as a form of problem solving. I'm far more likely to find a solution by going for a walk and sitting at my desk and thinking.
0: It's so funny how we forget how simple that is, but I think it comes down to learning how to make choices that are in service of humanity versus productivity.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's what it and that's maybe where it kind of comes in with the slowing down is that, you know, you're you're still moving, but I think we are so tricked into thinking that we need to be constantly productive. And I think you're actually more productive in greater ways if you Slow down and take a walk, or sit in the sunshine for a minute. Then, if you're to overwork yourself,
0: I just finished a book called Earth's Wild Music by Kathleen Dean Moore, and it's a collection of essays that feature her nature writing. And you know, she kind of compares listening and kind of reengaging with your senses in tandem with how we interact with the natural world. And yeah, it just made me think of that.
2: Oh, wonderful! That's how Mary Oliver makes me feel. Her book Devotions all about i think intention is kind of the keyword behind all this you know what are we doing here why are we doing this what is the intention behind this
0: yeah i'm personally almost overwhelmed by how much has been published recently but more so how much i've missed out on i've personally had like a homecoming to reading in the last couple of years and i feel like i'm playing catch up but it's kind of a wonderful problem to have to be able to be like okay I need to be more intentional with how I interact with stories and words and ideas.
2: Yeah, it's that productivity thing. Like, oh, I must read all these books to say that I read all these books rather than taking them in, you know, one at a time and being intentional about what you're learning and observing from these stories and how they play into your own life and relationships.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a nice segue to talk about Old Monarch. In one poem in the collection titled The Best Part, you write, I have always loved beginnings and endings. Maybe this is my chance to embrace the journey where the story is. And so before we talk about it, I'd love to have you share a beginning or an ending that has positively challenged your creative practice or how you think about telling stories.
2: Yeah, I think that it all goes back to the productivity as well as i think when you're in the process of making something you can feel rushed and feel this is my first poetry collection so I'll also just say that i'm a musician and a songwriter and i've released several albums and i think that i get very you know overly excited about making records and sometimes i've just rushed putting things out for the sake of putting things out and kind of recently I've realized that slowing down and focusing on the actual art of creating something just for the sake of creating is one of the most beautiful things you can do. And kind of like sauntering, you know, in that process is so much better than trying to rush it to show this sort of half-baked version of it to the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a lesson I've learned really recently. And I think it's creating for the sake of creating is is really what it what it comes down to. And maybe a lesson I've learned in rushing my beginnings and endings. Sometimes it's a hard one to learn. It is. <laughs> it is. Especially, you know, it's so much easier when you're a teenager in your bedroom and you're just creating with all this free time and you don't really know what the future is going to hold or, and you sort of get into this vortex, this tunnel, and you just sort of catapulted forward and all of a sudden it's been 10 years and you're like, whoa, time to like rein in this thing that I started and really think about why I started it in the beginning. And when you realize you have all the time in the world, (laughs) it's a lot more empowering. Yeah, that resonates with me deeply. It's something
0: I've been navigating in the last year. I started kind of making in the digital age when I was 18 and I just turned 28 a few months ago and you just kind of arrive at this moment where it feels comfortable to ask those questions and it's almost like a form of grieving in a way just the way that you worked or thought you kind of have to let go and it's kind of hard to let go of that comfort or that idea of comfort because it's what you've been doing. And I know things have changed given the nature of working in an age of technology. But I'm curious, is the process of creating a physical book a lot like creating an album? It's just so beautiful as an object. What was that process like?
2: Yeah, that, that process was so mysterious and wonderful. You know, I'm I'm an avid reader as well, and a big fan of of poetry and uh fiction and nonfiction. And so I feel like I'm constantly holding books in my hand. You know, I'm not a Kindle reader. I don't do any of the downloadable stuff, not against it, just kind of more into like the physical book and the design and layout of a book. So I wanted the book to feel like the landscape. A lot of these poems take place in the Sonoran Desert where I'm from. And I wanted the pages and the cover and the design to feel like the landscape. And so it has like a very um kind of earthen type feeling to it. And yeah, the process was so fun. It was it was new to me. So it was mysterious and I just I really wanted to, to do it right and sort of make it all feel very cohesive and luckily found such a great artist, Darren McGee. Um he goes by Real Fun WoW to do the cover and I feel very good about how it turned out. Did you start the process of making
0: the physical book while you were finishing the collection? What was the timeline like?
2: Well, I started writing these poems about two or three years ago. And I kind of always had the intention that eventually I'd write enough to make a collection. But when the pandemic happened, obviously my touring schedule was non existent. And I would just spend every morning writing poems, making sense of the crazy, unpredictable world that we were now treading and yeah and I think I just kind of by by the time the end of the summer came and I had the collection done I was just kind of like I need to do this now because if touring ever starts back up it's you know our, our lives as touring musicians is so fast-paced <laughs> it's the opposite of slow stories it's <laughs> you know sometimes you're on the road for five or six months out of the year up to to nine or ten months and I knew that this was my chance to really realize this dream. So once a collection was done, all the other stuff sort of followed. It's probably a really gratifying feeling to know that you've been
0: working on something and to see it line up, even in a time of complete chaos. Is it strange to kind of have this big milestone happen on the precipice of the next
2: chapter of a pandemic? It is strange. It's so strange. And at the same time, it it feels like divine timing, you know, it just feels like it was meant to happen this way for whatever reason. And it's definitely kick-started my writing. You know, I've always wanted to write a book as well. And it's kick-started this belief that I can do it, you know, and chip away at it. It doesn't have to be now or next year, but I can always you know, have this as well to as an outlet to create. And I think it would be great to have you share a little bit about the experience of reading
0: or how you would like readers to experience this because Old Monarch is broken up into a few different sections. And I'm curious if there's a way you want people to engage with these poems.
2: I'm not particular about how people engage with it. I think the beautiful thing about making something is that somebody interprets it the way they interpret it. And that's what makes them feel closer to the art you know, I intended to make it for my own sake into a journey. And so it is quite linear in that way, in the way that it's set up. You know, there's, there's sort of these poems that are surrounding my childhood and learning and tr- seeing things for the, the first time and trying to understand them. And then, you know, there's what would, I guess, be considered my young adult section where I'm almost there. And I, you know, endure heartbreak for the first time. And I learn a lot, you know, it's this section where you're bombarded with a lot of lessons. And then the end is sort of the garden, you know, this place where you come and kind of reckon with your life and understand it in this new light, because you're looking back on it, and it deals with a lot of mortality. And so technically speaking, you know, the book is set up in this linear way, this like a journey. But I, I would almost actually say that the book is more of a circle. And the reason I say that is because these are lessons, even in the you know childhood section, that you can learn at 40 and you can learn at different stages in your life. I think some lessons we're relearning over and over again. And so if picking up the book and just sort of picking a page like you would a tarot card suits your sort of Fancy, then I think that's a beautiful way to go about reading it as well. But technically speaking, it is linear. Yeah, definitely picked up on that. And I'm
0: curious, as you were speaking about things that we can relearn, was there something that you had to unlearn or that writing this collection sort of forced you to let go of?
2: Yeah, I think releasing a poem into the world is letting go of something. I think when you're finished with an album or a book, it really does feel like you're kind of closing a chapter. And You know, perhaps I'll look back on these poems 20 years from now and learn new things in the words. But I think that the act of putting something out into the the cosmos or whatever, you know, you want to call it, is releasing a part of yourself, releasing something.
0: Do you want to read something that you think embodies
2: that idea? Yeah, I'll read this poem called Regarding Nostalgia. Regarding Nostalgia. Last night, I made my bed in yesterday. Slept in the languid summer of youth. Us sticking like two sweet buns between sheets. The hum of the hypnotic ceiling fan. Unable to break love's spell then and now. Yesterday is safe to visit, knowing the outcome. Changing and twisting minor details. Nostalgic craftsmanship. Reinstalling my past to fit my uncertain future and abundant denial. I only choose to see the rose-colored before, dances under fairy lights, mothers with advice, smells like evergreen and petunia, kisses that only lead to gardens of more mystery, dogs we thought would live forever. Today is too painful to remain in, a blur of suitcase cobwebs and messy closets. So? I lay in yesterday, and I make it sweet. And when I wake up tomorrow, this will be a yesterday too.
0: When you talk about yesterday, and this is probably more in regards to the musical side of your practice, obviously, as a musician, you've mentioned that you've toured a lot and you've traveled a lot. And I think it's evident in how you think about telling stories and reflecting on experiences and places. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of those experiences on the road and how it's just deepened your understanding of storytelling?
2: Yeah, I feel that I've always been a learner And a student of experience. And, you know, ever since I was a teenager, I wanted to stick my thumb out on the side of the road and hop a greyhound or a train and learn by way of experience. I think that was so powerful for me. And so I think that the experience fuels the art and the art fuels the experience. And I think in order to create something that connects with other people, you have to have lived it in some way, you know. That's why. Heartbreak albums are so powerful and potent because most likely the artist went through a horrific heartbreak, and you can feel their pain seeping through the speakers. And I feel that these sort of experiences, as dark as they may be, shape us. And I think being on the road from such a young age taught me so much about the world that I wouldn't have learned if I was in my living room or had just kind of done the traditional path. Is there a sight that you're yearning to see again or an experience that you really want to have? It's so hard to say and long and yearn for it right now in a tangible way because it feels so far in some ways. I think really the thing I miss the most is being on on stage and connecting with people in a room and singing, singing songs, telling stories. I think that that's something that just isn't replaced by Zoom or, you know, (laughs) these sort of online substitutes for that feeling. Obviously, anywhere beautiful, you can find a poem or a song in any experience, even if you're at a dumpster behind a Walmart, you know, if you look closely enough, you can find something. So I think the thing I miss the most is sharing songs with people in a room. Is writing poetry a solitary process? I think to go back to experiences, I experienced the world and I I have to retreat to write poetry. It's a very solitary experience. I need a lot of solitude for poems. You know, my, my ideal writing day when I was writing my book would be in the mornings, I spend four to five hours walking and writing. And then at night, you know, in my ideal writing day would be I would see friends and have a lovely dinner around a table. I think they feel each other, but the actual, when I'm in that headspace of writing, I really do need to be alone. I understand that. I'm naturally very introverted. So I'm kind
0: of trying to push myself to do the opposite and reinvigorate that sense of collaboration and community. And I'm curious too, how did writing this collection help you get closer to that sense of experience or change how you think about experiencing life during a time of stillness.
2: The stillness was so important in my life and in so many people's lives. I think we all kind of realized just how ragged we were running ourselves. And it's so important to turn inward and ask yourself some questions. And I think the great thing about writing poems is that, you know, you're kind of a philosopher when you're a poet, you're constantly asking yourself questions and turning inward and looking at the dark and scary parts of yourself. So poems are great students, but they're also great teachers. And I think that poems taught me in the pandemic that I need time to turn inward, more time than I thought. You know, in a, in a regular year, I would have never given myself two months of stillness to, to write this book. And I think it's so important to recognize when you need that.
0: And I think on the subject of pace and stillness, creating in our interconnected age, especially in a time of social media being so prominent, it's really informed how art is created and perceived. And I'd love to have you share a little bit about boundaries in terms of what you share in the digital landscape. That's
2: funny you say that because when I finished this book last year, I actually took a social media break to just completely zone in on the actual creating. And I think it's really important that we try and say no to the fast pace and to the sort of social media world that we take chunks of time to really like step away from it. Because you're not looking inward when you do that. You're just constantly sort of omitting your energy out and not receiving anything back in a lot of ways. It's like a leaking cup that never gets full. It feels full for a moment and then then it sort of leaks back out. And so I think it's really important for the creative process to slow down, say no to things that aren't necessary, and to really just tune in. It sometimes can be a tall order when you're
0: trying to connect with people in a time when we're physically distanced. And as I mentioned earlier, Slow Stories explores slowing down and telling stories in this digital world, similar to how you think about slow food and slow living. I like to see how people perceive slow content and storytelling. And so kind of building on what we talked about in terms of social media, I'm curious what this phrase means to you or how you kind of approach it
2: when you do have to be online. I think that the phrase means intention to me, just to circle back to what we were talking about in the beginning. The capitalist mindset is more is better, quicker is better. And I think when you slow down and make things intentionally, whether it be a social media post, a piece of clothing, a piece of art, even a time with a friend where you'd usually be like, I only have this one hour to hang out, you know, that it's, more memorable, it's more potent, it makes you feel better, it makes you feel fuller. And so when I hear the words slow stories, I just think about intention. I think about being full in a healthier way. I hadn't thought of it in that way a fullness. Thank you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's why I love to ask people from all walks of life, professions. I think that's what can fuel momentum for these movements to become a little bit more accessible to people. Do you have a poem in the collection that you think speaks to intention that
2: you'd want to read? There is a poem called Morning Meditation. Running in my mind toward a meadow through acres of rippled marsh, pooled boots, soiled knees, long past childhood. Mother's tears behind door frames, her bad taste in bad men, past the schoolyard girls who taunted my joy of singing, confidence thieves, past the dead mesquite where I'd wait for my father, stumbling around his absence, the beach barn falling from the flood, no heart for hammer in sight, beyond the fence line, the sunset is freed from every horizon, promising hopeful years ahead panting past the awkward dance of adolescent love, then you, true blue, thirsty now, heart rates up as I yearn for your touch, hands reaching, a codependent leech, I need you, I need you so I know I am alive. I pause to catch my breath and linger in our time together, sprawling millions of miles, a whole decade of us. You better believe love gets two stanzas. Past your infidelity, heartbreak, anorexia, apple trees, dirty laundry, the darkest nights, birth dawn hatching as I catch my reflection in a pond, and finally accept my crooked teeth. My boots are soaked, elbows scraped, hard to believe there was ever an us at all. Trudging ahead, running, 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 past it all and all we name trauma past the broken-down RV, addictions, concussions, grief, out-of-tune pianos, old dogs dying, chickens eating crops, family spiraling into madness. Yes, can't you see I must run somewhere simple? I am slowing toward the meadow where there is nothing but monarchs on milkweed, a rising river flowing toward a land of afters. I will lay my tired body down in gracious grasses of gratitude. Once I arrive at the meadow in my mind, I can make it another day on earth.
0: I love that so many of the poems ask questions. And I think going back to what you were saying about checking in with how we're moving through the world, I think during a time of complete transformation, like the one we've all endured in the last year, it's created a little bit more accessibility in terms of being able to ask questions of ourselves and of others. And I'm curious if there is a particular question that you hope people start asking you more often. It can be in a personal, professional, or creative context.
2: Yeah. It's funny you say that because there's been this question that keeps coming up. And, you know, my friend, one of my great friends is an actress. She's an amazing actress. And during the pandemic, she's like, you should just, you should come into my method acting class. My teacher is this incredible kind of philosopher, meta man. And I think you'll just learn a lot, even if you're not interested in acting. And so I took this course and it was kind of a Zoom class. And the teacher constantly asks, what are you doing here? and I thought that was such a powerful question to ask myself and ask of others. What are you doing here? I think it ties back to slowness and presence. And it's good to ask yourself that question. If you're not here for a good reason, with good intention, are you just filling time? You know, are you just filling this void? And I think that's a question I've been asking myself a lot. What if you don't have an answer? Well I think that's the most beautiful part about life in these lessons is that you know I could be a sage wise woman today and be a blubbering mess tomorrow you know and I I don't think that things always have answers and I don't think the journey is linear I don't think the lesson is guaranteed you know money back you know <laughs> I think you have to ask yourself these questions over and over again some days you'll have answers and some days you'll have this centered feeling and you'll feel like nothing can shake you and life has other plans sometimes and i think as long as you're asking the question you're succeeding is there something that we should be asking of poetry or what is poetry asking of us you know, I think in this really fast paced world, there's so much surface level, you know, everything's quick image, a quick text, everything's quick and surface level. And the beautiful thing about poetry is it's, it's asking you to dig a little deeper and see what you can excavate from your psyche or, or from, you know, a relationship or from your path or whatever that is for you. It's asking you to get beneath the surface. Absolutely. And in a few
0: of the poems, which you've titled the Monarch Mantras, and I love them, there is a particular poem, Monarch Mantra number three, where you write, when you learn nature's secrets, you will practice more humanity. You will arrive at yourself. How have you arrived at yourself after writing this collection?
2: I think I've arrived at myself in the act of creating this collection. And again, I think not to keep repeating myself, but I think I also hearken to this a lot. It's like you never fully arrive. You arrive again and again. And I think that every time you arrive, you get a little closer to yourself. And writing these poems in this collection allowed me to be more comfortable with the ever-changing world. I think that's that's something that's an important lesson to learn is that, you know, we could wake up tomorrow and there is a worldwide pandemic. And I think the poetry kind of allowed me to arrive there at that knowing that, everything is unknown.
0: Yes, absolutely. And to bring this lovely conversation to a close,
2: would you be open to reading one more poem from Old Monarch? Uh, Yes, I'd love to read Resilience. That's a poem for the times. Resilience. Even through death and destruction, we always find ways to overcome crossing the bridge to the other side. As if never brushing the damage We sit in cafes, smashing glasses, forgetting our bad years. Joan of Arc did not bear her prophecy with complacency. Only lazy seers fall to obscurity. In canopies gracing the sky, a magpie seeks shiny gifts from the world, unaware of the vanishing light. We know the bird would not raise a lifetime of living over disappearing silver. She will simply discover another object of desire. Our minds are malleable as a red clay our ancestors used to build villages still standing in this century. We are more resilient than we know. I too will live through horrible sorrow and live to tell you in a dimly lit bar, laughing.
0: Courtney Marie Andrews, musician, poet, and author of Old Monarch. You can purchase Old Monarch anywhere books are sold, though we recommend supporting local and independent bookstores if you can. You can also follow Courtney on social at Courtney Marie Andrews. Stay tuned as we'll be sharing highlights from this episode at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and at Slow Stories Pod on Twitter. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, and you've been listening to Slow Stories. Thanks so much for tuning in.